This is Donald P. Belisario, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 69, Roberto. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Here we go. What about the First Amendment? Congress shall make no act respecting the establishment of religion and prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Tomorrow on uh, Berto, uh, animals as uh, friends. We've got lawyers. We're gonna sue. Get me. And, and lovers. Uh, Great show. Yeah. I suppose you'll be asking for a raise now. I'm sorry. Or at least hazardous duty pay. Maybe it'll leave a scar. I'll give you that rough, manly look which you so desperately desire. It's 1982. Your name is Roberto Roberto Gutierrez, and you're working for KDNMTV in Destiny, New Mexico. Oh, you must be a local sort of version of Geraldo. <laughs> I'll tell you what, why don't you lie down in the parking lot, and I'll accidentally back over you with my car. Probably you can get a whole week out of that. This is Jenny Eisenberg. She's an investigative reporter. She was a big hotshot in Chicago, but then she moved out here to New Mexico because of her health. She's got asthma. In two days, yeah? Jenny drives her car off a cliff and she dies. Does Ziggy know what she was working on at the time? Jenny Eisenberg. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. How many are missing? Okay, where were they last seen? Blue Rock and Whispering Pine Lake two nights ago? Did you see any lights in the sky? Did you see any strange people that night? Thank you. Yes. There is life after exile. Fifty sheep are missing. Right, right where Red Norton saw the aliens. After five years in East Nowhere, New Mexico, I thought I'd forgotten what it smells like, but I can smell it. A real story. Are they what I think they are? Aliens. Aliens that collect sheep. Dead sheep. They're doing germ warfare here right under our noses. Men in protective suits picking up dead sheep, Harry G. sheep. And they killed them. They had a serious accident here. Whatever they were working on, some of them must have gotten out. They killed Rick to cover it up. 
Is this your uh-oh, things are getting worse, or is this your uh-oh, that now I've changed history and things are really going to get hard? Which uh-oh is this? is the uh-oh that she doesn't die anymore from driving the car off a cliff. She dies from an acute asthma attack tomorrow morning. Uh-oh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today, we discuss people who love holograms and don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we're talking about the season four episode, Roberto. Now, guys, tell me, is Roberto in all caps with an exclamation point, or is it just Roberto with an exclamation point? Because I keep writing it in all caps with an exclamation point. I don't think you can fail to write it in all caps. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's certainly the the gusto you got to put into it you yes know? roberto yeah it's like you you can't say the name brian blessed except in all caps <laughs> you know i know i started with a joke but i have to say that i think that this turned out to be a surprisingly solid episode allison give me your first impressions of roberto i like this episode it's got a a surprising amount of um of lore in it some some care put into it i think you can tell it's it's written by uh one of their solid writers chris rupenthal friends of the show chris rupenthal uh-huh mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah i'm glad that um that i watched this taking notes and paying a little more attention though because i think i i, I gained more appreciation for uh scott bacula's directing in this one so uh mm. yeah excited to talk about it with you guys is this the first episode Scott ever directed? No, he did uh, Permanent Wave. Thank you. I knew I was forgetting one. I'm a bad fan. You're a good fan. Matt, what did you <laughs> think of Roberto? Uh, it, oh, there's some dumb plot holes, which I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys about. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've already spotted them. But um, yeah, it, it's a really fun episode. It is one of my go-tos. Uh, I really enjoy going back to it. It's definitely got a bit of um, a kind of early 90s mystery sci-fi vibe it's really easy to say x-files vibe not just because of the jerry hardin link but it it does it definitely has x-files vibes definitely for sure yeah yeah it's it's a really fun show what about you chris well i'll agree with both of you um as i said it was much more solid than i was expecting and um matt i had the same exact thought to me this was not so much um quantum leap it was more akin to the weekly adventure shows that i used to watch in the 80s like magnum like hardcastle and mccormick yeah you know even like the incredible hulk you know some they always had like a mystery to solve and danger towards the end and then the hulk would come and flex a little bit and then david would move to the next town (laughs) this this to me seemed like it was written it was like throwback um set in 1982 for an episode as it would have aired in 1982 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, like you said, there are a couple of plot holes. There are a couple of the TV things in there don't make sense. And <laughs> um, I'm sure we can get into all of that. But on the whole, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the lore, so much good lore in this one. So yeah. one thing that I want to point out to this, and this is this was my aha moment for this episode. And you guys are just going to say you're such an idiot. Duh, of course. But it occurred to me in this that the amount of info that Al has for Sam when Sam leaps in is directly proportional to what works best for the drama in the script. And it just struck me as weird in this one because it was the first time in Yonks that Al had come in with actual information to give to Sam. Not saying we don't know or <laughs> this could happen. I mean, he had it all boom, 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 right at his fingertips yeah. every time he popped up in this episode. And that was just so unusual to me because usually 
he doesn't know what's going on or Ziggy can't find it or, you know, this computer won't talk or they didn't keep records back then. And it's just like, we didn't need any of that nonsense in this episode. And I was thinking, is like Al not having the information on hand, sort of the QL equivalent of a tech problem in Trek Mm. that they just techno babble their way out of? Oh, yeah. It's always whatever's (laughs) convenient. In fact, Ziggy was more useful than usual in this episode. Uh, They they have a part where... um, Ziggy runs a spatial comparison analysis right. to find uh, if there's anything hidden in the plants. Uh, now, I'm going to get Ziggy to run a spatial comparison analysis of the oh, exterior uh, and the interior of this place. And if there's anything hidden in here, we're going to find it. Um, and it seems like it, that would be very useful in a lot of leaps that they do not use that on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it struck me as like, you know, it's Chris using the technology in a smart way instead of as an obstacle. And now I'm going to be trying to keep track of, you know, how many times is Ziggy actually a hindrance to a leap as opposed to a help? It's just weird that it strikes me as weird that Ziggy was helpful. (laughs) Hmm. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Um, Ziggy does seem to have uh, a lot of the answers in this episode, but that's fine. You know, they got like a lot of stuff going on and this episode seems like, you know, they're they're in a in a comfortable place leapwise. They know what they're doing. Yeah, and even Sam is taking the leap onto camera with a bit more equanimity. I mean, he sort of did so in Temptation Eyes too, but he also had cue cards in this one, so it was a little bit of a help, even though we leaped into the middle of a melee. He never seems to have an issue with hosting the show. Right? So, like he gets embarrassed when he uh when he has to get undressed on air. But, like, as far as, like, the hosting portions of it, like, there's not really a lot of fumbling there. Yeah, he's hosted a few times before now. I mean... Uh, Good Morning Peoria, he did the radio stuff. Yes, Good Morning Peoria is the first real example of that. But then, yeah, you mentioned things like Temptation Eyes as well. He's he's getting used to being in broadcasting. How much of that he remembers or not, who knows. But uh, maybe that's at least subconsciously slipping in somewhere. Well, I think it all ties into the fact that he's a performer. So when called upon mm. to perform, he ultimately comes through. And yeah. we've established that since the very first season. And the wild winds of fortune will carry me onward. Oh, whithersoever they blow. You know, him as Don Quixote, I thought was, was terrific. So I guess maybe he's just tapping into that part of his personality. Mm. And it's funny that you guys mentioned the fact that he was embarrassed to be on camera in his boxers, but it was his idea <laughs> to take off his clothes. No, it wasn't his idea. It was the, the lady. Why don't you try putting your muscles where your mouth is? Why don't you try doing the rest of your show in your boxer shorts? And that was the hypocrite, Dr. Laura. Schlesinger, yes, who was very big in the 80s, basically chiding everyone from a conservative standpoint, and she turned out to be a giant hypocrite. Yeah. I, I made a couple of notes about that. I wasn't sure if we were going to get into it. Well, I mean, we just to give people a sense of how we do this, I usually put for show notes what we liked, what we didn't like, just silly stuff. And the only thing I have on this that I didn't like was the fact that they gave Dr. Laura any screen time at all. So yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. get that out of the way. <laughs> all I was aware of is that she was an actual like person, not just a character they made up, uh, and that people don't really like her. But uh, otherwise, blissfully unaware of really who she is. <laughs> yeah, and I I was unaware of that until I was researching for the book, because they don't make a big thing out of the fact that she's a special guest appearance, um, nor is she particularly well known in the UK. So that was a surprise for me during research. 
Was that like a big cameo thing for them? Was that like they were like, yeah, we got her. <laughs> this is a big deal. I gotta guess so because people did know who she was. She was on people's radar. It's, it's kind of like the equivalent of getting like a Judge Judy or a Kathy Lee, maybe. Yeah. I guess. So. It just came off very cardboardy. The whole like, mm, why don't you do your, your whole show in your boxer shorts <laughs> and the, the girls in the bikinis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny that the show named Roberto, the other weakness that I had under Dr. Laura was the actual Roberto segments. I think that the show was, it, it kind of ground to a halt when they gave into sort of the gag premise that he leapt into. Friends of Fruits and Vegetables, you didn't like that? or? Well, that just about wraps up our show today on Friends of Fruits and Veggies. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're cast for this show as an extra and they're like, now you must caress this piece of broccoli. <laughs> Hold this eggplant like you love it. <laughs> we need to get one of those guys on for an interview. <laughs> yes. Do you think maybe they were the friends and family of uh, the production staff? Oh, man. I don't know. Call Uncle Jerry. Uncle Jerry, just cozy up to this eggplant. You'll be on screen. <laughs> You'll love it. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, this was a, this was very clearly a uh, Geraldo Rivera send up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even like Al directly references Geraldo Rivera, and uh, Geraldo Rivera has been on my mind lately. I, uh, <laughs> in my um, my video reviews, I do uh, Baywatch, and um, he was in a couple episodes. He was in an episode of Baywatch proper, and then an episode of Baywatch Nights. And I just reviewed the Baywatch Nights episode Geraldo Rivera is in. Um, Geraldo Rivera himself has admitted he is not an actor. Um, <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> But all I know of Geraldo Rivera outside of that, um, big asshole, and the the Al Capone <laughs> vault thing, which the um, yeah. the fake wall snafu kind of reminded me of that. I thought that that was a very thinly veiled swipe, if veiled at all, at the Al Capone's vault debacle, because I was one of the people watching that live. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I was waiting and waiting and waiting. You saw history unfold. <laughs> As all they found was more dirt. And oh, look, there's more dirt and there's more dirt. And they were actually pretty, now that I think about it as like a TV producer, they were pretty smart in the way they put that together because they did not need to count on finding anything to fill the half hour that they had slated for the special of the hour. I remember it was like a big event, but it was also like when they had a lot of evening tabloid shows. Like there was one called PM Magazine in the 70s and early, early 80s that I remember we watched every night. It had like a chef tell, like a lot of like weirdly famous personalities based on these syndicated late evening shows that came on just before primetime shows. And they were always like infotainment. They were always sort of like newsy, but not really, and featurey. And I think that if I recall, the Al Capone's vault thing fell somewhere into that. It might've been its own special, but it was like on a syndicated basis. It wasn't like on NBC. It was like on Channel 11 here in New York. Channel 11. And I remember just watching saying, oh, this is going to be so cool. But they, <laughs> they really peppered it in with just like a whole bunch of history about Capone and like mm. nothing to do with the damn vault. So that it was interesting in itself. It was almost like a little documentary. And then they ultimately found bullshit. <laughs> you know what? I think that's better. Than if they'd found something, because the just the embarrassment coming off of the screen and the the total letdown of the whole debacle 
hilarious. Yeah. It is, and it was, and I remember people talking about it um, a long time afterwards. <laughs> Al had mentioned Geraldo. Oh, he must be like a Geraldo Rivera. I wonder if they did that specifically so that he couldn't sue them. Like, okay, we're copping to it. We're sort of making fun of you. Well, I mean, it's very clearly supposed to be specifically him, but this type of talk show format and stuff like that, like, wasn't exclusive to him. So I don't think they could sue even if they, they didn't mention it. I think they're just, you know, tipping their hats to the audience like, yes, this is what we're doing. We know. Yeah, it's interesting you say that it's not, um, that kind of format wasn't unique to Geraldo, but it what it was at the time was pretty unique to America, at least from a British standpoint. I don't know if it was if, if that kind of show happened elsewhere in the world, but for me, as a 12, 13-year-old watching this, um, this was one of my first real experiences of watching this kind of thing. And like, okay, that's what American TV's <laughs> like. Okay, all right, cool. Um, and then, you know, we, a few years later, we started getting shows like Jeremy Kyle and, and so on uh, in the UK. But um, yeah, that was, the, the whole setup was at the time for me very American, which was, yeah, just added a sense of entertainment for me. You notice, like, when um, when they're in the newsroom and Al starts listing off, like, stories that Sam could, like, pitch to, to his boss, he starts just, like, listing off season five plots. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that one about the Elvis. Elvis show. Natural. About, what about um, sex. That always ooh, helps. And the Kennedys. Uh, I got a Kennedy Taylor story about, um, and um, the Bob. Oh, we get, like, an Elvis in there and then a JFK and aliens. <laughs> 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 That's a brilliant observation. <laughs> well, it's just funny that, you know, because this did start, like the genesis of this kind of TV was based in local news and that's how you know oprah winfrey came up and phil donahue came up and they became hugely popular but they started as more issues driven sort of serious shows and as time went on they became more and more sensational and more and more sensationalistic until you have now jerry springer which i think is still on mm -hmm. yeah which is sort of the template and this is much more akin to the jerry springer model than to like the phil donahue model <laughs> and i know that they were playing on that for laughs but it again once they went to those portions of the episode the episode to me just ground to a screeching halt they just stuck out like a sore thumb see yeah i i enjoyed them just because it was it was a window to uh a, an exotic and interesting western world <laughs> <laughs> you naive lad <laughs> this is what americans watch on tv all the time american tv is pretty dumb i will say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's. It, I think they showed those segments as much as they needed to. It was like, yeah, we, we remember when TV was like that, but we got as much as we needed. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't go on for too long, thankfully. And they used it in the climax of the episode, too. So I guess they sort of needed to keep it going. Otherwise, it would have just come out of left field from the leap in to the leap out. So Why, why does Sam set up at the end? <laughs> That Roberto is going to do a personal story on air about his leap experience. <laughs> I loved, 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 loved that. And finally, a personal story about the time I was kidnapped by aliens and held in an all-white room. 
so clever <laughs> i guess like i guess if he sets it up like aliens um, but how does sam know he'll remember anything about it to even to even do it i think sam's hedging his bets yeah <laughs> i think he thinks he might remember something about it and he might be calling attention to it so why not get out ahead of it and just do damage control and it kind of fit in because you mentioned earlier, Allison, that they talk a lot about the lore of the project here mm-hmm. and the project being so close you know, who knows what Roberto might remember. So no matter what he says here, Sam is now priming people to say, oh yeah, it's just going to be alien abduction. Mm. I guess that's true. I don't know. That's how I headcanon it. Maybe, yeah, maybe a bit of cleverness on Sam's part. Let's let's talk about the project backstory stuff. I want to get into that. Oh, yeah, let's. Well, can we can we stick to the Roberto thing first? I mean, it, what the specific one that he set up for Roberto coming back? Because it answered a question that I've had for a long time. Hmm. When was the first time we saw the waiting room back at the project? Uh, sleep for Lisa. Yeah. That's what I, I thought, yeah. right? Yeah. So you notice in this one that Sam calls the waiting room an all white room. Yeah. And then oh, we get yeah. a leap for Lisa <laughs> in which it's just the blue screen. Maybe yep. maybe Sam doesn't know, you know, he's just used to to the accelerator chamber, which is uh maybe it kind of seemed white when he was leaping out. It could be, but it also answers a question that I always had about the quantum leap novels that Ashley McConnell wrote because she wrote the first few and she always described the waiting room as an all white room even though by the time the books had come out the waiting room had been seen on screen as the blue screen. Mm. So I guess all she had to go on was this one line that Sam said on Roberto, and it now makes much more sense to me why there was always that little canon glitch in her novels. She just didn't have any other information to go on. She she took some liberties with some stuff, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily the one line in Roberto. Maybe. I can't speak for her, but it's certainly not the strangest thing she decided to change. I guess it maybe says something about me that the only thing I really remember from her novels is that the waiting room was all white. (laughs) Well, she wrote a prequel novel that ends with the beginning of Genesis, except it's not the beginning at all. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) Yes. It it fits so closely, but just not enough. (laughs) It's better as like a what if than a pretending it actually fits because it doesn't really make sense. Though I enjoyed the book. Yeah. And again, I read them all like 25 years ago, so... Don't don't call my memory. Yeah, why don't you remember them that closely, dummy? <laughs> You're all about the quantum leap lore, and you don't even remember that. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but the other lore. So, Allison, expound like what what you know. I'd like you maybe to get into some of the lore that Al gets into, and Matt, I'd like you to chime in on that too. This episode takes place in New Mexico. 30 miles and seven years away from where the project's built. Sam. Sam. It's unbelievable, but this is it. What? This is home. What? Well, see, 30 miles over that way. You can't see it from here. That's where we built Project Quantum Leap. Of course, it won't be there for another seven years, but it is. I mean, if I push this, I go, that's where I go. It's there now, but it's not there for another seven years. It was nice that they talk about that kind of stuff. Why? <laughs> Why? It, it's got no. It, it it struck me as a piece of fanfic where they were like, oh, 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 we can just we can just shove this in because because we remember that that, that Project Quantum Leap is like in a in a building somewhere in New Mexico. So yeah, let, let's do that. 
Isn't it so nice for the show to remember it, though? And so rarely do we get that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I don't understand why you're hating on that, Matt. I, to me, that would be the first thing that Al talks to Sam about, you know? I mean, they're in New Mexico. And he said, I'm like, when I leave you, I'm going right over there. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, 20 years from now. It's a fun little moment. It just felt unnecessary and crowbarred in. And yeah, all right, it makes sense. But honestly, I would have just not set it in New Mexico to avoid having that conversation. Because you're right, of course he's going to have that conversation because that's where they are, but there's no reason for them to be there. They do use uh, things about the project uh, to further the plot along, though. It actually is important to the episode. When uh, they're talking about the key cards, they find that key card the guy has. Um, yes, the key cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like the beginning of the Quantum Leap project, remember? This credit card thing, you stick it in the slot over the door. Before we had those electronic implants, remember, Sam? So I guess they have, like, implants in their hands or something, or... Hmm. I feel like later on they do show them with, like like, hand scanners. Like, maybe in the Lee Harvey Oswald one or something. Okay, well, that's something we'll look out for as we get more stuff back at the project. One more important plot-related thing, too. Um, when uh, Janny's on the computer and she's trying to figure out how to hack her way in, uh, Sam's like, well, top-secret projects have their own secure computer networks. And so he's using his own experiences and his memories from the project to help him with the leap. And, and I think that's so rare that he actually remembers that part of his life. I absolutely love that about it, too. Just seeing Sam become like a genius hacker and actually being able to be Sam to resolve the the leap, to get some forward momentum that Roberto never would have been able to do. I just thought it, it was an amazing little character turn. And we finally get to see, you know, some of what Sam was before he started leaping because Al has a kind of a throwaway line. Why do I suddenly feel like I'm a step behind you? I never used to feel that way. Well, I don't know. I, uh, it's annoying, isn't uh, it? That's what you get working with a genius. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like Sam, like just hopping on and getting it done and going in and Al saying, well, Ziggy can't even. And he's like, don't tell me about what Ziggy can't. Just give me what information you have. And then he just, he owns it. And it's just, it was just an amazing, amazing bit in the episode. I loved that part about it. And clearly Matt hates fun. Because it was so much fun to have them talk about the project and geek out about their own stuff. I just, maybe it was fan service, but I'm a fan. So I feel serviced, adequately serviced. I don't think it was fan service. It was part of the show. That's part of the show, isn't it? That they have a time travel project. I don't know. Matt's the one who has a problem with it. You know, I the reference that, that he made just before the, the stupid 90s hacking scene. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> I, well, all right, let's come back to that in a second. Chris, you've actually, you, you've, you've summed up perfectly well why that is an absolutely fine reference. And I like that bit. That's the only bit of lore that didn't kind of stick out to me as being a little bit unnecessary and crowbarred in. The hacking scene. Now, I love bad 1990s hacker movies <laughs> or TV shows. I love that kind of stuff. I find it embarrassing when it's in a show that I otherwise take fairly seriously. <laughs> I mean, how, how is Beetlejuice Coaster Starcode part of a passcode? Pass and, and all you see Sam typing in is numbers. It, it, oh. Prime, three, seven, enter. 
VF262222, comma, doc, 5-9er, drive, 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 enter. G, enter. T, backslash. How does gibberish help anything? It, it doesn't. How, how is that? <laughs> it, it's just secret code words, Matt. Hello. Okay, obviously, you guys don't understand what was also going on in 1982. There was a little movie called War Games in which <laughs> Matthew Broderick hacked into the Pentagon computers and started uh, World War Three almost. Shall we play a game? Yeah, but this show was 1992. It wasn't... <laughs> this was not during War Games. But he leaped into 1982. And you have to realize I was like 12 when that movie came out and we watched it a million times. So to me, what Sam was doing was perfectly plausible, according to all of my knowledge of hacking into top secret government computers. So I was their target audience and they delivered. Now, Matt, Matt. Did, but hang, hang on, didn't in, in War Games, didn't he just like accidentally dial into it? He didn't really hack into it as such. No, he thought he was actually playing a game. He didn't realize that he was he was dialing into the Pentagon, but he hacked into it. Yeah, but he didn't hack hack. He he. It wasn't like he. The the only hack that he did was he was asked for a password, dude, and he went and did a bunch of research and figured out what the password was. That wasn't really it. Dude, he hacked into it. You tell me okay. what's the difference. He's hacked in. He's, uh, he's jacked into the computer. Oh, but that, yeah, but that's that's the other '90s trope: hacking I mean. being just knowing the password. Yeah. At least it wasn't just like. What is this guy into? <laughs> and then it was like, a oh, paisley robe, try that. That's the password. <laughs> deep right. throat, it, try it's, deep it's a- throat. <laughs> it is a really fun scene. It just makes me, I want it to be a scene in something else. I love that shot of him late night at the computer, like, oh, we just keep trying to hack and we can't. <laughs> and then like pan over to the glasses and then the coating reflected yeah. in the glasses. Ah, oh, so good. <laughs> Thanks, Scott Bakula. You really were noting Scott's <laughs> great direction, weren't you? I think Scott did a solid job on this one. Yeah, he did. He really did. I think he did. I mean he had he had some really shit locations to work with. Namely like a like a plant. I thought that um the coloring in this episode was really good. Um like they had lots of like warm and cool color contrasts, so the backdrops would be like one or the other, and then the people in the foreground would be shaded uh, that way, and uh, there were lots of yellows and blues and greens and oranges. I thought that all looked very good. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, uh, again, that Scott Bakula likes to use long continuous takes sometimes. Um, when he first goes into the newsroom, that's unbroken for two minutes. Really? Oh, wow. I, and you know what? He's doing it right because it's not even noticeable. Yeah, I didn't notice it until I was paying attention to take the notes. I'm like, they have not cut. And also, an effect shot is in it, so it doesn't look very good the whole time <laughs> because Al comes in with the uh, the door. But I didn't notice it at all. And usually when people are trying to be fancy, that's what takes you out of an episode. But I think yeah. that Scott had – we mentioned that now that I remember we talked about it in Permanent Wave. He did have some weird Dutch angles and some, some stuff that's a little bit different than what we usually see in Quantum Leap. But none of it's felt out of place. And I didn't feel that any of the shots in this – broke the traditional conventions, say, of Quantum Leap, even if they were a little bit different, um, it all still fit in with the flavor of the show. I think that he mm. found ways to change things up in, in little ways. Like, it wasn't like a, a super avant-garde kind of thing. It's just like, occasionally you would see different kinds of shots to try and, like, change things to be a, a little bit 
different. Um, like you can only see the Lee P through the uh, the camera monitor. You never see him in a mirror or anything. Yeah, mm. and but that makes sense given the the setting that they're in. I guess they could have done a makeup chair shot too. Yeah, but I think it's just much more fun and creative to do it the way that Scott did it. Can I just say with that point, I love the fact that it, it's it's such a short moment, but the actor playing Roberto absolutely seals it with the squint that he gives. <laughs> it is such a Scott Bakula squint. It's uncanny. Good job, Roberto. Yeah. Now, one other thing that maybe ties into a little bit of the Quantum Leap lore that confused me a bit was when Jenny said about, you know, how she got into reporting and she was going to be like the next big thing and break all the big stories. And she asks, Sam, how did you get into this? Oh, what about you? Mm. Why did you get into this business? Well, I kind of just leaped into it by accident. I sort of like it now. Mm-hmm. I never really thought much about why, you know. I, I guess I kind of see myself as a champion of underdogs everywhere. You know, he's not talking about reporting. He's talking about leaping. Mm -hmm. It struck me as weird that he didn't really have any sort of driving reason to give her as to why he did it. He sounded genuinely like, I don't know why I started doing this, but now I kind of like it. I thought him saying, I sort of like it now, was kind of significant. Very much so, yeah. As a turning point, yeah, because his character has said, like, you know, this is something that he's not wanted for a very long time. (laughs) It's kind of been hell for Sam Beckett. Um, but for him to say, like, I sort of like it, like, I'm, I'm the champion of underdogs. He's, he's moving into a, uh, a proactive character rather than someone who is reacting to whatever circumstances he's in. He's like, no, you know what? I actually, I want to help people. I really like doing this. That spoke to me as well. Just the only thing that I think Sam might have had more of a drive as to why he wanted to leap to begin with in my head canon. So for him to say, I don't know really, I don't really know why I started doing this. Does he mean I don't know how I got lost in time? Because to me, it would be much more keeping in his character for him to say something like, I wanted to change the world too. Mm. Yeah. Or, you know, just some kind of nod to the fact that Project Quantum Leap was a big deal that he had big plans for. And it went caca. It's, it's a tiny thing. And non-fans are not even going to think about it. But it's just something to me that was like, mm, really? You didn't know why you did it? I do feel it's kind of weird that they don't go into really during the entire show exactly what Sam's goals are. I mean, he does want to, like, change the world. They do allude to, you know, like, he wants to make the world a better place. But, like, what drove Sam to this? What was the making his mind work that he felt he needed to jump into the project and do this? Was it just to prove that he could do it? Uh, or was it was there some specific thing? Was it his brother? Was it, you know, any sort of... What was the, the uh, motivation behind it? No, all those late night hacking sessions had to amount to something else. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's an excellent question. And it's not one that even the books explore very much. I think the books allude to it being his brother, unless I'm I'm mixing it up with something else. Yeah, there's definitely a few references that suggest that. Like you say, it's they they never really go into it specifically. And that's also a contradiction because 
what is Al's first thing that he says to Sam during Starcrossed? The time traveler shall not do anything to affect his own life. That's true. So if his brother was the motivation, then he's a giant hypocrite from the from the get-go because they were his rules. He was a villain. He was using it all for his own gain. <laughs> um, I mean, there could be that. Or he could have just wanted to know what happened. I mean, I'm sure like the records from Vietnam, you're not exactly going to know exactly what went down. Like maybe he just wanted to see it or maybe he just wanted to see his family. You don't necessarily have to change your life to to go back to parts of it. To observe it. Yeah. But very nebulous, the whole, like, what Project Quantum Leap was initially supposed to be. Was he supposed to initially replace people like he's doing now? Was he just supposed to maybe hitch a ride on their consciousness? And if that's being the case, why was there an observer? Yeah, it is very kind of confusing. It works if he's lost the way the project is set up. But I'm just trying to figure out why he would set it up this way otherwise. They had a waiting room in place, so obviously he had to replace somebody. Yeah, if Project Quantum Leap went exactly as intended, what was what would that look like? <laughs> Ooh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And again, Prelude does try and explain what it's meant to look like, but um, then, yeah, as, <clears throat> as Allison said, Prelude ends with the, the start of Genesis that's not the start of Genesis, so mm. we can't place too much faith in that. Well, that just leaves it up to interpretation. Every fan yeah, can make their own, their own reason. Mm-hmm. But I'm just loving that they're getting into all this geeky stuff in the middle of an episode that's really so much more of just a mystery thriller of the week episode. I mean, it, it lent a real flavor that otherwise would have been missing. Like some quintessential Quantum Leap stuff is in here, which, which kind of saves it, in my opinion. Otherwise, it could have been an episode of any other TV show. Like um, The X-Files. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Even though this was pre X Files, but the flavor yeah. it was so X Files. They got they got the guy who played Deep Throat, clandestine meetings with informants who are uh, killed before they get a meetup. Uh, there's a plot about aliens, chemical warfare. Yeah, <laughs> right. And what did I, I don't know if it was Janie's spot in the newsroom or if it was just in the newsroom? Didn't say something like unexplained events or a poster that says "I want to believe" on the wall. <laughs> Pencils in the ceiling. <laughs> it was Chloe's wall of weird from Smallville. Oh my god! Just like they just had like this little corner dedicated to like weird happenings in the town. I I didn't get that. It's got a bunch of strings connecting things. <laughs> I love Sam and Al's reaction to the farmer saying that he saw aliens. <laughs> I was heading for Blue Rock, cutting past Whispering Pine Lakes when I saw them. Uh, them? The aliens. like all right (laughs) yeah Yeah, well i mean they did tie that in though so that's good on uh chris for bringing all the weird stuff together and still making like a fun character moment but you were talking about that farmer and they're talking about um it was his sheep that died and that they they came and they they it was the aliens that came to clean them up or something that took them Mm. i'm trying to figure out because I was too busy trying to fight commercials on the nbc app and this (laughs) this scene actually got cut in half with seven different commercials um, yeah, he was, uh, they were taking a sheep to test the chemicals on, I guess, which seems really, like, dumb of them if they're trying to be all secretive about it. Like, it's not that hard to buy livestock, dude, <laughs> if you're gonna test yeah. your <laughs> your chemicals on them. I thought there was an accident and they were making use of that. Oh, okay, maybe. I didn't think that was actually the intention. We, we established that the chemical plant is toxic to the livestock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking... Project Quantum Leap is 30 miles away. What powers the accelerator chamber? Is QLP environmentally friendly? 
Is it murdering innocent sheep? I mean, if they're making the entire mountain glow, there's got to be some <laughs> nuclear radiation coming, like, everywhere. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? It's got to be Chernobyl over there. It's... <laughs> Al, Al can't be happy about that. He's all about the environmentalism. And he's like, Sam, you screwed it up. We have to wear hazmat suits to work, Sam. <laughs> Raising so many questions. I mean, accelerator chamber. I'm thinking, okay, maybe it was like an accelerator that they have around here at like Brookhaven National Lab where they have, you know, particle colliders. That's an accelerator too. We know that, that their power is nuclear-based because uh, there's lines about it in shock theater. The, the, the nuclear half-life or something, and then like you'd have to be a nuclear... <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, I'm I'm dumb, but I know that there was lines about nuclear radiation or nuclear something. <laughs> yeah, because that's the imaging chamber door would have been sealed. If there was like a catastrophic failure of something. Right. And why do I think this is going to be a big number? So no, no, not in cosmic terms. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, 89 years or 20, yeah, you know. To protect him from the radiation or something. Right. So there isn't very nuclear aspect yeah. to the project. So... Well, that's an interesting thing I never really thought about. Yeah, so definitely, like, just just uh, horribly irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor sheep. You'd think, after all that, they'd have moved away. Well, if we can talk about um, some of the guest cast. I thought that Delane Matthews, who played Janie, was so super annoying at first. I thought... <laughs> They were trying. They really? were trying to make her be like Margot Kidder oh. as Lois Lane. I could see kind of Margot Kidder. Mm. But once Sam started going toe to toe with her, it became much more fun because she was just coming across as a jerk first. It's just like, okay, why is she being <laughs> just an ass? Well, because that's that's how <laughs> she usually interacts with Roberto. You know. Yeah, but see, I didn't. You know, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> I, yeah, I liked her. I liked her. Um, she played opposite Scott Bakula in uh, the Invaders miniseries in um, in the '90s as well. Not as fun as this one, though. <laughs> but the, but aliens again. Them and aliens. They're just that's what they do. But yeah, I like that. Um, I like when Sam has to like learn how to be a wise guy from Al, and then he starts like improvising because he's like he's so annoyed. He's already got some barbs for. Her. And what earth-shaking story are you working on? gas stations that promise full service but don't deliver now there's a national emergency get me the president and then when he's talking to al um and janie interrupts with like uh some line uh about him talking to his imaginary friend and they both seem annoyed at her for interrupting like <laughs> excuse you <laughs> it was nice to see sam he's like he's being sassy sam and it was it was pretty cool <laughs> so yeah and it was, I got like a moonlighting vibe after a while. I don't know if they were going for that, but. Uh. Well, it, you know what? It was, it was uh, interesting because it was not romantic. Like Sam tries at the end and she's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> the other big standout in this one was a legendary actor, Mr. Jerry Harden. You guys mentioned him as being on the X-Files before. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I didn't interview him, but for my last show, 112263, uh, an event podcast, my former partner Skipper interviewed Jerry Harden. Nice. Yeah, we were doing a bonus episode about an episode of the new Twilight Zone called Profile in Silver, and Jerry Harden played LBJ in that episode. And it was about a time traveler trying to prevent the Kennedy assassination. That's all we ever talked about on that show. But 
guess who played JFK in that show? It was um, Andrew Robinson who plays Garrick on Star Trek. Oh, yeah. nice. And Jerry Harden was on Star Trek, too. And yeah. Samuel Clemens, the most <laughs> yeah, annoying Clemens. historical figure. <laughs> <laughs> he did talk about that in his interview with Skip. Did he say he was trying to be annoying or did he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody sets out to be annoying. I, I don't know. He's well, you know, he's a great character actor. He is really, really great. I, I thought Samuel Clemens was annoying, but um, but the fact <laughs> that he can like slip into all of these different characters and and create such a, a different persona, like just excellent. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys want to hear that interview, just look up eleven twenty two sixty three an event podcast on whatever podcatcher you have. I was thinking about attaching it to this episode just because it's a guest star that was on Quantum Leap, but he never once touches upon his time in Quantum Leap, so it's not really relevant to this show. But he is a good he's a good guy, and um, I really enjoyed him in this because. He had like the most thankless role. It's the the, the two dimensional quantum leap bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sit in my paisley robe in silk pajamas, <laughs> waiting for the call. Oh, I'm so sorry about you losing her. Anyway, I want to create a scholarship. <laughs> right in your day. <laughs> You know, listen, it, it's funny. I've, that whole part of, again, I know you guys thought I was going to go to town on the TV part of this about what was wrong, and there was plenty wrong, but that was the most wrong, and it has nothing to do with my time in TV or, or tangentially. It's just that I worked for a big corporation for a long time. There is absolutely, positively, 100%, without a doubt, no way that the CEO of a corporation trying to hide something would go onto an unscripted no. interview <laughs> on a local TV station, yes. even if it was to make the reporter eat crow. It just would never happen. Yeah. I think I think part of it was supposed to be like, you know, the the money on hand and keeping him quiet and all that, uh, but it was pretty, it was a stretch. Yeah, he agreed to it very quickly. Yeah, you know, they would lock him in that room behind the six feet of dirt before they let him out of the building. Like, maybe if they'd had, like, his toady go on there for him, and then, like, he he kind of fucked it up, and then they go to arrest him or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Something like that. No, I mean, it worked, you know, fiction has its demands, and the narrative needed to end in such a way that tied the whole show together, and this was a good way to do it, as good a way. I don't think anybody else is thinking about this stuff like I am, unless they're in TV or news. But Matt, this brings to mind something you said at the beginning of this show, where you noticed a lot of plot holes in this, yes. and that's one of the obvious plot holes I saw. Do yours touch upon this as well? Yeah, that that's the biggest one for me, but um, very closely followed by the fact that when he's on the show and we have... Uh, Chris, you're going to say because drama, but he's on the show and Janny comes in to hand over the search warrant. <laughs> Why would she have the search warrant? <laughs> because show. Yeah, exactly. What's that reaction to, like, what does it look like from on camera, from this apparently live broadcast? Do they ever right. do the shows live? And then, like, what, what does that look like? She's coming in from where no cameras are pointed. So, like, what? <laughs> They're like, huh? What is he reacting to? Well, you got to figure there's probably a three camera shoot. Maybe they could have turned the camera around to go up the aisle. And I that didn't really take me out of the thing. What took me out of the thing was they got the guy, she served him the warrants, you know, he sprayed the 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 mist in his face, the whole yeah. nine yards. <laughs> what did that take? A sum total of maybe eight minutes of showtime without commercials. Yeah. And then he wraps up the show and saying, tomorrow on Roberta, what are you going to do with the next 22 minutes, pal? <laughs> They're going to pad it out with Al Capone stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
looks like you don't have that much broadcasting experience. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> I will say during that whole climax, which yeah, the whole the whole thing is completely unbelievable. I. The first time I watched it, I'm sure I didn't notice as much because I bought into the whole thing of Janny having been offed off camera. So I felt that surprise when she showed up at the door. Oh, you thought they actually killed her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely bought it. And maybe it was because I, I was younger and, and hadn't seen through the fact that, well, if we hadn't seen it, did it really happen? Well, it did seem like Sam was playing it up for the audience. Like, who is he performing for? when he's all like distraught over this but I, I thought it was good that we didn't we didn't see them hatching the plan uh, sure you know we, we've seen everything else we've seen from their point of view the all the the dodgy hacking and everything <laughs> uh, and then this this final twist that they they scheme up between them we don't see and that kind of glosses over the, the yeah the, the horrendous plot holes to the immediate left and right of that bit <laughs> <laughs> One other little plot hole I saw in this is, you know, murder at the Blue Dolphin. <laughs> they go and they find this guy dead from a, an apparent hit and run. And they pick up the, the key card and she Janie's about to hand it to the police. And Sam's like, no, 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 we're going <laughs> to yeah. need that. We definitely have to give this to the police. Now, will you listen to me? If we give it to them, they will never get anywhere with it. Believe me, I know. Now, we don't have time. We got to solve this ourselves. When, when did this come up? Al never mentioned anything about a murder, a murder scenario. I know yeah. that it won't. It won't work. You know, we got to. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? how does he know that they need to all of a sudden solve a murder? I thought she was going to drive off a cliff. How do the two even connect at this point? Because show. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very <laughs> packed script. I'll give it yeah. that. Yeah. So it was moving so fast that, again, if you weren't really trying to I guess, parse it out for a podcast, you probably wouldn't have noticed it. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's just like he came to give him one mission and then Sam just decided to take another mission. It was his leaper's intuition. I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, you're right. It, it didn't make sense to me either. Like, he's like, no, trust me, we got to solve this ourselves. And she's like, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> And I loved, loved, loved the part after, I guess, the Al Capone's vault uh, swipe. Alice like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hey, uh -oh. Is this your uh-oh, things are getting worse, or is this your uh-oh, that now I've changed history and things are really going to get hard? <laughs> yeah, uh-oh, bad or uh-oh, terrible? Which one is it? <laughs> uh-oh, third act turn? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I liked about that uh, Al Capone's vault scene and the, the scenes, a uh, couple of them following it, is that uh, Al and Sam are wearing matching red suits. I thought that was adorable. I, one part, I, I really wanted to bring this up. <laughs> so when they're, when they're on the cart, the Austin Powers cart, driving through, <laughs> through the plant, and they just stick Dean Stockwell on a platform attached to it so he can float along beside him. I loved that so much. That platform had to be off camera, right? It it was, but um in these the the new HD masters, if you look very closely, um there's a little bit that would have been um outside of the safety zone or the safe zone uh that's uh, what would have been on like a tube television back then you wouldn't mm -hmm. see parts around the edges but right, you right. see it now you can see just a little bit of the platform as he's standing on it all the wonders of hd 
but you can tell what they did anyway. You wouldn't have to see it. You know, they just <laughs> stuck him on a platform and yeah. drove. And I love when they do practical effects like this, because so rarely can they do them. And it's a little bit hokey, but I, I love it. The only problem with a practical effect like this is they have to remember not to inadvertently touch Dean. Well, why would they touch him? They're on a car. I'm just saying, you know, he could be gesticulating and he hits him and it's not an effect shot. So his hand's not going to go through him anyway. Well, that's the entire show, isn't it? <laughs> don't touch Dean. <laughs> they have signs to remind them, don't touch Dean. It's on the front page of every script. <laughs> and then they have like a song. They go, don't touch Dean. <laughs> don't touch Dean. <laughs> You notice any other plot holes, Matt? The only one that I had kind of as a question mark, and this is a genuine question mark to you guys. Um, Janie had this great career blooming in Chicago, and she's got asthma, and she had to leave, and I get that because Chicago's got uh, apparently quite a legendary bad air quality. But she takes that career and moves to the middle of nowhere. Is there nowhere else in the US that's, like, got... Better air quality than Chicago, <laughs> but is not in the middle of nowhere, that she could actually still be a proper investigative reporter. And that that's not, it's a genuine question. It felt like possibly a plot hole, but, you know, if you're going to tell me that the whole of the US sucks in terms of air quality, then yeah, fine. She certainly could have moved somewhere in Illinois that's not in the city that probably would have better air quality. I wouldn't know yeah. if someone has like super severe asthma, like what that entails. So. Yeah, they were probably thinking that the New Mexico climate is hot and dry. So less humidity, better for her asthma. I don't know enough about asthma to know. I just know that that's like an old trope. Like you go to the mountains to take the airs so the tuberculosis mm. doesn't kill you. I'm guessing that it was just an excuse to make it so that she was a much more experienced, dogged investigative reporter than you might otherwise find in a smaller market like that. Yeah. And she's kind of a jerk because she's there against her will. It's like she saw her dream yeah. go down the tubes because of her health. Mm -hmm. So now she can finally, she's like, I can finally smell it. This seems like a real story for the first time since. And hmm. I guess, you know, that, that didn't bother me. I mean, there are plenty of markets in news and working in some place like Chicago or LA or New York, or those are like the top markets in the country. So to have to leave a place like that to take a step down, it's the worst thing that could happen if you're a career minded television reporter, you made it to the show. Yeah. And now you're in freaking Destiny, New Mexico. So that's why she's bitter. Yeah, oh, I, I get that. And it, it that, that makes perfect sense. It just, it felt a bit forced, but mo mostly because I thought, well, America's a big place. You've, you've got some clean cities, right? Or did in the early 80s. Maybe that was the biggest market with the cleanest air that she could land a job in. Maybe there are bigger markets with as clean air, but they didn't have a spot for her. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. But no, um, we, we've covered the plot holes, and I, I don't want to come across as if I'm really hating on this episode, because I, I do love it. I have a genuine fondness for it, but it's um, some of it is you know, partly I love it because it's a little bit dumb, um, <laughs> but I also love it because it's, it's a genuine good piece of drama with a, a twist at the end that, that got me, and um, I, can, I can still appreciate even when I know how it's going to end. How about you, Alison? Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed this episode, and I uh, I enjoyed it more this time around. Just uh, paying attention to all of the little details, and uh, I think Scott Bakula did a great job. 
And I'm going to agree with both of you. This was a very good episode of Quantum Leap, a very good episode of TV mystery drama. And I was really entertained with it throughout. Even the things that I started out not liking, I wound up really liking. So it's just a testament to, even though it had some plot holes, it was a little uneven, just generally how well written and how well acted it was. And it's a really solid season four episode. So, hey, good on you, Quantum Leap. And, um, you know, the love fest doesn't stop there, guys, because we have some feedback to read. Do you guys want to get into a little bit of feedback? Sure. Definitely. It just shows that I paid attention to the notes. I didn't even realize we had feedback. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got a little bit. And um, all of this has come from our Facebook page. We got one response from a gentleman named Sebi Ravi, who responded about my latest post on the page for our show about a song for the soul. And Mr. Ravi writes, a consistently entertaining podcast. I look forward to every episode. So thank you, Sebi. We really appreciate that. And do you want to take the next one, Allison? Sure. Uh, on the uh, Paradox special where we read uh, Chris's spec script uh, for Leap Day, Emily Hilditch says, ultimate lols. Lols. This is, this is hilariously funny. Brilliant and so in-jokey. Had me laughing for hours. Highly recommend laughing very hard emoji. <laughs> thank you, Emily. Oh, and thank you, Sebi. <laughs> thank you both. Do you guys mind if I take the next one? Go for it. Sure. Well, this is a gentleman named John Temple, and he writes to us a bit. For this one, he wrote specifically about our show about The Last Gunfighter. And if you guys recall, we had had a discussion about how, you know, they really probably wanted to leap Sam out of his own lifetime, but couldn't because of the rules of the show. And we had gone back and forth about maybe how they could get around those things. And John kind of chimed in on that. And he wrote, I was thinking about what Allison said about how to justify early leaps, I guess leaps outside of his lifetime. What if Sam could leap within the lifetime of the last leapy? And he continues, I had had the same thought about a story in the 20s, because if you guys recall, we said, when would you like to see another leap if Sam could go out of his lifetime? I think two of us said the 20s, if not all three of us. And uh, John agreed with us there. I had had the same thought about a story in, set in the 20s, specifically dealing with prohibition. I figured he could have a maternal ancestor who was a cop in Chicago. If we use the previous Leapy's lifetime rule, we can get to prohibition and then the Titanic right away and then go from either of those to the old west so he's thinking creatively like i was sort of trying to think creatively i think <laughs> <laughs> you know how do we break the rules so that sam can leap outside of his lifetime and maybe expand the stories ultimately they found a way to do it in season five that i think worked much better than the sort of i guess temporal amnesia that everybody in coffin arizona had in the last gunfighter <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's an interesting idea it would yeah seeing him in the 20s or titanic or things like that oh, be interesting mm. i'm still glad that they didn't really figure a way to do it though yeah yeah honestly um i like it when they stay away from being directly involved with major historical events or um, major historical figures or celebrities uh, occasionally it's okay but uh, i don't think it needed to be a consistent feature of the show and that's um, that's exactly what I was thinking earlier on. I was, I was having a look at this feedback. And yeah, the mention of the Titanic, it hit me as well, that if you start going back to particularly pre-20th century, 
it's very hard to come up with stories about normal people that are interesting and engaging. You can do that when it's within the lifetime of the viewers. But if you're going to go back much further, yeah, surely it, it has to start involving major historical events. Otherwise, just why? Why have something set in the 1600s if it's not actually going to be related to the Great Fire of London or whatever? Well, that's exactly why Donald Belisario had these restrictions outside of um, just what they can afford, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, yeah. he specifically wanted it within this time period to um, tap into people's nostalgia uh, and to also, like, stay within relatability because there's only so far back you can go before you're like i have no context for what this life is (laughs) exactly and that's the relatability is the key word there allison because if you leap within sam's lifetime you have the touchstone of shared experiences that any viewer can relate to and once you start getting too far back like you said matt the only thing that you have are historical touchstones that are abstract and it just becomes time tunnel then or you know insert time travel show here yeah you know, we're going to go back to the gladiators. We're going to go back to the pyramids. We're going to go back to said historical event. And then you just lose all of the personal stuff that makes Quantum Leap Quantum Leap. Go back to caveman times. That'd be a great episode. <laughs> Remember when he leapt into Ugg? That was bar. <laughs> that was that classic Ugg episode. <laughs> Pass me a beer, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have one more bit of feedback. Matt, would you like to take this one? Thanks, John. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, John. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. I would. I'm not going to be able to do the voice, though. Um, So maybe I'll I'll hand over to Alison for half of it. Natalie Luca says, I would love QLP merch like you guys talked about in this episode. I would especially buy a shirt that says... You know, you should try it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to try the voice. It, it, won't, it won't work. I'm too British. I, I saw my mummy's autopsy, and all I got was this stupid shirt. <laughs> that, that's, that's what British babies sound like. Is it? <laughs> the babies are getting ready to go on a nature documentary. Or... <laughs> I saw my mummy's autopsy, and all I got was this stupid shirt. <laughs> Well, um, Natalie uh, and everybody else who's listening out there, regarding QLP merch, we have been working on getting a new logo for the show that might be merch friendly. Um, So I can say this, stay tuned for announcements about that. Keep checking back to the Facebook page and uh, maybe looking at our website because I think once we have um, something new in place, we might very well slap it on some stuff for you guys to grab up. So, and that's, you know, maybe naked mercenary lust there. But the reason we were able to get a new logo was because of our Patreon supporters. We had some money put together finally after a couple of months that we could use to hire somebody to actually create something for us. And that's sort of, sort of how this works. And if we can get more money coming to the podcast, we can do bigger and better things. It's not really going to us. It's going to support the show and to make a better experience for everyone listening. And it occurs to me that this is a leap year, right guys? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been noticing that our numbers have been growing slowly but steadily over the last year. And I just want to make an appeal to all of our listeners out there. Tell some friends about the show. I want to try to get our numbers up, our subscriber numbers up. Let's have a subscriber drive. Let's see if we can bolster our numbers in this leap year and make the Quantum Leap podcast um, you know, more widely listened to by the whole leaping community. 
you can help us do that just by telling friends, by sharing our Facebook posts and our Twitter uh are they posts, Allison, or tweets? <laughs> Sharing our Twitter, Twitter posts. <laughs> <laughs> it on my Twitter blog. on the Twitters, Chris. <laughs> I'm so old. But you know, um, yeah, this is this is all a very good idea. I did I did want to mention that we uh we hit a subscriber milestone, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, so maybe someone who's out there who's listening has better sort of knowledge of this stuff, but. I know it's nearly impossible to get any kind of subscriber numbers on Apple Podcasts, what used to be iTunes, but I listen on my Android with Podcast Addict, and they do have subscriber counts, and just this week, after, like I said, almost a year of steady growth, we surpassed 1,000 subscribers, which I know, you know, for a lot of podcasts out there, it's small potatoes, but I have to think, and maybe a listener out there can can set me straight on this or cooperate, that Podcast Addict is probably 10% to 15% of the actual people listening. I got to think that most people listen on, on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. And if we're at 1,000 on Podcast Addict, I got to think we have many more listeners on on iTunes, do you think I'm right on that? So I don't really know specifically how many people we have listening, but I know we can always use more, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. So <laughs> for all of you who've joined us recently and who have helped us reach that milestone, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We don't know how you heard about us, but we're glad you're here. And um, if you can tell other friends about the show, we would be greatly appreciative. Another thing that helps is getting reviews. So if you guys can leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, um, the more reviews we get, the higher we get up in sort of like the search results and the more people will see us when they, you know, when they're looking for shows of this type. It really all comes from like grassroots fan interaction with the show. And that's what helps build everything. And like I said, since this is a leap year, let's make it the leap year of the Quantum Leap podcast. The Quantum Leap podcast year. How's that? Sounds, Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So that's enough. Enough begging from me. <laughs> For one dollar a day, you can help <laughs> this podcaster. <laughs> In the arms of the angels. Oh, my God. Cue some sad music. Yeah. Sad, sad music. Mm. Well... <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, who uh, replied, Natalie and John and Emily and Sebi and all of our Patreon supporters who have enabled us to get that new logo. We will be debuting it soon. Keep checking on the Facebook page and on the Twitter feed. Uh, but if you want to tell us what you think about the podcast, about this episode, about the new logo, you can call us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can always support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, what's next? The next episode is It's a Wonderful Leap.
I don't have a pun this week. It's okay. Sorry, I tried. Who <laughs> oh, no, it's Christmas again, guys. Yeah. How did that happen? Is it? You know what? I always think of it as a Christmas episode, but they don't have Christmas in it, do they? No, it's set in like May or something. Yeah. But I guess, you know, because it's a wonderful life That's thing, you why. just always think of it as a Christmas thing. Right? So, wow, it's going to be interesting watching a, a non-Christmas Christmas episode. But until then, <laughs> I've been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. So you guys having a good quarantine? <laughs> um, nothing's really changed for me yet, because I work from home most of the time anyway, but tomorrow is going to be the first day where... Sharon and I are both working from home together, so that's going to be fun anyway. And uh, Zach's nursery is closed, so we oh, have God. a toddler to deal with. Mm. Uh, that's what I was saying to Alison. Like, I keep seeing friends of mine online saying, hooray, lockdown, I'm just going to spend the time watching every single episode of Star Trek. And I'm like, right, we have to fit in two full-time jobs um, around a kid that's up 12 hours a day. Hey, well... Good luck with that. So, yeah. Sleep is going to be light over the next few weeks. <laughs> Have you considered putting Zach to work? <laughs> what, down the mines? Yeah, just a thought. <laughs> we're, um, we're British, but this isn't Victorian England these days. <laughs> Send him up a chimney. Just a little bit of cholera. <laughs> you come at him with solutions, he comes back to you with nothing but excuses. I mean... It's time for him to start pulling his weight. Uh, it's all right. When when we heard the nursery was going to be closing, I um, emailed a friend of mine and said I, I was kind of glad about that because it meant that the rumours are they won't open until September, which means when the food runs out and we inevitably have to eat, Zach, it's going to be a while before anyone <laughs> finds out. That was, that was my first thought. <laughs> well, you're thinking ahead, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You get better fatten that kid up though, because he's you know he's not going to keep you going for long. Believe me, he's <laughs> he's a chunky little thing. <laughs> He'll last a few days. <laughs> Recording all this for evidence as well. Yeah, <laughs> of course we are. This will be used in the court of law. Yeah, yeah. It's like you you can't say the name Brian Blessed except in all caps. <laughs> Who's Brian Blessed? What? Oh my gosh! Uh oh. He's an actor. Big, booming voice. Yes.
He shouts a lot. No, never mind. Let's just cut this whole bit. <laughs> I cannot I believe it. how flat for, that for fell. once. Thanks, me and Matt got the reference, not Chris. Wow. I mean, he's a British actor, but I thought he was pretty big in the states as well. I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> there's actually um, there's a Doctor Who forum that I'm a member of that uh, in their algorithms for um, like getting rid of uh, the, the swear filter, they've got a thing that anytime anyone types out Brian Blessed, it switches it to all caps. Automatically <laughs> for them, so because it just has to, his name has to be shouted. Brian Blessed. <laughs> right. Anyway, that, that's nothing to do with Roberto. <laughs> now I'm googling Brian Blessed. He has an impressive beard. Yeah, I don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> <laughs> How do we do the intro? I've we've only been doing this forever. I know. I feel like we still don't know what the hell we're doing. Oh, it's okay. hilarious. Hey, what's this episode about? <laughs> we got a recap. So the recaps for. Do, do we have Zoe doing a recap for us or something? No. No, we usually do the mashups. Now, <laughs> Matt just revealed he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> all right, all right. This brings up a real question. When was the last time you heard an episode of this podcast, Matt Dale? <laughs> um, I, I, Albie was hosting it. <laughs> oh, oh. Hey, Albie. Albie, what did you think of the episode? <laughs> Oh, dear. You really have not listened to one episode since you started hosting? No, but now I understand why you're always asking for copies of the show audios. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make a hell of a blooper reel. Oh my god. <laughs> Don't touch Dean. <laughs> Don't touch Dean. <laughs>